This is Linux Unplugged, Episode 4, for September 3rd, 2013. Welcome to Linux Unplugged. Pour yourself a cold one, because honestly, this show probably makes a lot more sense after you've had a few drinks. Otherwise, it sounds like a couple of Linux users rambling about using Linux. My name is Chris. My name is Matt. Hey, Matt. So we made it to four episodes. That's a month I solid, know, right? man. That's awesome. So I was just telling uh, the... Uh, well, I was just about to tell the story, and I thought, no, wait, I'll, I'll, share it on, I'll share it on air, because it's embarrassing enough that I should share it with the audience. I, uh, so when my, wife, when my wife was pregnant, you know, one of, one of the things Prego ladies do is they get into these, they like to have certain foods, right? They want to have a food. My, for my wife, it was citrusy flavors. So lemonade was perfect. It's summertime. It's hot outside. Let's get some lemonade going on in this house. I got hooked, man. I got hooked on lemonade. Like, I've never been hooked on it. I was, every day, got to have a little lemonade. Oh, this glass of water doesn't have any lemonade in it? I'll fix that. Poor little, you know, it's drinking. every day a new yeah, thing, right? got to have lemonade. So I mix in it with everything. So, I, so I'm at the grocery store doing the shopping because the wife was on bed rest. And I'm like, we got a lot of lemonade at home. Look at this. Lemonade vodka. Didn't know that was a thing. I mean, oh, I no. never tried it. I knew it was a thing, but I'd never tried it. So right. I grabbed myself big bottle of lemonade vodka and, or lemon vodka and I'm, it turns out you could pour like a half of that into a cup and pour half the other half with lemonade go half and half and it's just a delicious treat Matt well <laughs> I had two of those like like a week ago and I'm still feeling a little hungover from that just a little bit oh yeah I well think, vodka doesn't play around especially if you get the good stuff yeah. that, well, I, well I did not get the good stuff I don't think, I think <laughs> oh, it was like some, that's why it was yeah. being sold in the grocery store so <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, so uh, we have a, we have a fun show today. One of the things that's new is uh, we've dialed into a new Mumble server. Uh, we called up on our um, our fifty six k modems and uh, called in, <laughs> and no, we got it set up. It's now hosted on Scale Engine. Price TX has been working his uh, took us off getting it all dialed. And we 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 were on a hosted solution that Arbulus had set up for us that was awesome, but we kept hitting user limits. Turns That's out right. people wanted to hang out and chat with each other while we're doing the show. They want to be involved with the show. And it was a lot more popular than we expected. So now we're on a new mumble box at uh, ts.jupitercolony.com. And uh, the uh, hopefully somebody in the uh, in the IRC chat room will paste the uh, port in there. But it's like it's on a funky port. I'll try to put it in the show notes so you guys can – because it's going to be open 24-7. So if you guys just want to hang out, it's it's essentially kind of like the it's – a, it's, an, a, it's an adjunct to the IRC. It's always yeah. going. And we got Good rooms time. in there for every show. We got general hangout rooms. So we're going to jump in there. We've got an on-air channel now. Uh, it's port uh, 64734, which, by the way, if you just highlight that that line that uh, Talks put in the IRC and then you open mm-hmm. the Mumble client, it will automatically detect that on your uh, clipboard and uh, and fill it into the server settings for Mumble. It's really That's nice. kind of slick, right? Yeah. That's, yeah. yeah that's, you know, that's, that's an application you can really feel like was meant for the Linux desktop. Yeah, I like that. And that Literally. audio ducking thing they do, like it feels like a, it feels like that Linux version of Mumble is a first class Linux desktop application. Makes me excited what we might see in the future. Oh, definitely. Um, so we're gonna ta- we're gonna chat with uh, one of the uh, Ramey, one of the folks that's in there. Uh, he's replaced Dropbox with uh, IncaFS and and I think Git and a couple other things. He's sort of put these things together. He's wrote up a good post about it, and uh, we caught it in our subreddit and said, "Let's talk to you." So he's come on. He's joined us. Yeah. It's like uh, it's like. 
11 p.m. where he's at right now. It's and he's had a oh, heck wow. of a day. Yeah. <laughs> Today was one of those days, Matt. So on Friday I went to PAX, as you know. Yeah. And while I'm at PAX, go figure. I my phone starts buzzing. And okay. uh I look down, hey, can you give us a call? We have an emergency. Oh. Uh, and so the way this works is I, I don't have any clients that I go to on a regular basis anymore. But right. in a few circumstances, if their main IT guy is out and then their backup guy is out and they're really, really screwed, they'll call me. I'm like third guy in line. And if you're calling sure. Chris, if at that point you're really you're really screwed, right? At that point, you really don't want to be the guy going in. Oh, <laughs> you know so I mean? true, man. So true. So there I'm at PAX and I'm, I'm, I'm getting the third guy call. And I'm like, oh, no, this is bad. This is real bad. So uh, I, I ended up, you know, uh, is working out a schedule with them and worked them through some problems Friday uh, yeah, Friday night. Then Monday was, a, was Labor Day, a holiday here. So they were closed, thankfully. So I was able to do Coda Radio and all that. Go in there this morning. First thing, I roll in there at 8.30 a.m. And they're, they've been down now for uh, three days, essentially. They went down roughly Wednesday night, Thursday morning. They were down all day Thursday, all day Friday. And they are under contract with Washington State to have certain things posted on their website within four hours of receiving it from the state. Oh, or they're in violation of this contract. Right. And that's a huge revenue source, right? So oh, yeah. if they violate that contract, then the contract goes up for bid, they lose it, and then they lose like 70% of their funding. So, of course, everything's on the line. And that's uh, <laughs> that was my morning. <laughs> Oh my and I got God. It's this whole custom scripted up system using R sync and NFS mounts all up all over the place. Every server's got a mount to every other server. Oh, R sync's running, GNU Ooh. parallel running all up in this place. It was, I mean, it is a spider's web of automation, Matt. And uh, it sounds like a mess. It was a mess. So uh, before we get uh, to talking with uh, Remy and uh, do a couple of follow-up items, I wanted to just do a quick public service announcement, speaking of uh, things that are fantastic and optimized. Today, just before we went on air for Linux Unplugged, the Jupyter Broadcasting Browser plugins for Chrome and Firefox, which are linked at the bottom of our website, were updated. Now, first thing you should probably know is, at least in Chrome, I'm not sure about Firefox, uh, it's requesting permissions. So you have to go in there and re-enable it. It'll be under the little uh, hamburger menu, the little three-line button. That's officially, by the way, being called the hamburger button. That the hamburger button. Yeah, you click that, there'll be a notification. The reason why it is requesting uh, new permissions, and it's very vague with the way they make it look, but the reason is is we've made it a little more polite. So uh, uh, now if, you, if you're on somebody else's website and they have an Amazon affiliate link and you click it, our, our extension will not override that. It'll detect that and it'll be graceful about it. So that requires um, permission changes for that to happen, but that's that's one of the things. And then we've added Woot.com. So now if you're shopping at Woot.com and you have our browser extension installed, we will get a portion of your shopping session, which is awesome. And then on the Firefox side of things, I'm not positive if you have to re-enable it or not. I haven't tried it on my Firefox install yet, but we have uh, uh, Firefox integration improvements, performance improvements, and goodies as well. Of course, is Woot and all that stuff over there as well. Good so stuff. new extensions being uh, updated today, so your browser will probably get the update. And uh, if you don't know about this yet, these are open source extensions. Uh, we have uh, them linked up on GitHub in the Linux Action Show show notes, or you go to jbdev. Um, where was that? I can't remember. There's, there's a jbdev site I've linked to on the show notes. Uh, and those are posted up on GitHub. They're open source. And uh, we've actually got a good amount of people now. This is so funny. When we launched these extensions, I said, well, let's go open source so that way people know, you know, we're not doing anything shady and yeah, anything totally. like that. And, and, you know, if people want to use them, they can. That's fine. And people didn't necessarily think that was a good idea because there are other podcast networks that take them, right? Oh, right. But the other thing is exactly. – Yeah. I mean, that happens. But the other thing that's been really interesting is it's been big in churches. Oh, so I've wow. heard from well, several sense, people right? that are I mean, grabbing yeah. it for their church. 
setting yeah. it up and coding it for an affiliate code for the church. And then the people, the members of that church, when they shop at home, are using a modified version of the Jupiter Broadcasting <laughs> extension to benefit that's, the church. That's clever. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of a neat use of it. So there you go. So uh, you can find links to those linked at the very bottom of jupiterbroadcasting.com. And then you, when you have those installed, they just automatically take your shopping session at Amazon, Newegg, Woot, uh, Monoprice, eBay, lots of popular sites. And then it helps keep us on the air. Uh, all right. Well, I'm going to unmute our uh, Mumble channel here and uh, say hi to the folks in the in the Mumble room. And uh, specifically, I want to welcome uh, Ramey to the show. He's been a contributor to the network for a while. We send in emails to many of the shows, and he's active in our subreddits. Uh, Ramey, welcome to the show. Good evening, Chris. So now, do I have it right? It's about 11, a, 11 p.m. where you're at right now? Yes, that's correct. It's now uh, just on, uh, 11, 9 p.m. in the Netherlands. Well, I, I know that you were fighting server outages all day, so I appreciate you joining us after the day of hell that you've had. Um, and you caught my attention, I think it was last week, when you submitted a blog post about your encrypted file synchronization solution. Can you tell us what it is and what tech you're using? Okay, yes, it, it's correct. I um, uh, just recently bought a Chromebook and I used Spider Oak, which is a locally encryption and then upload to the cloud. Yeah, tool. yeah. And it's, uh, uh, it doesn't work on ARM and I have an ARM Chromebook. Uh-huh. So I had an issue. I was already having issues with Spider Oak because of ROM usage because I have over 90,000 files in there and doesn't really like that. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I've also tried Walla, and it's also a local encryption, and then dumped the blobs in the cloud tool, and it also had RAM issues. And uh, so I was looking for something else, and I already use NKFS. NKFS is a, a user space tool that mounts your local folder, and you uh, have an encrypt- encrypted folder, and then you mount it, and then you have the unencrypted part. It just works with the password. And uh, that's the encryption part and the synchronization part, because that's really important that you also have the uh, files on multiple devices, uh, is using uh, DVCS AutoSync. It's distributed version control system AutoSync, and it works both with Git and Mercurial and other uh, version control systems. So you're not using SpiderOak at all because you're on ARM. Yeah, I had to switch because I also needed the files on my Chromebook. The Chromebook yeah. runs uh, Arch Linux, right. oh. but Arch Linux ARM. Oh, okay. Okay. So you're using okay. So just so I want to make sure I got this. You're using you're using InkFS for the encryption. You're using SSH yes. to get. How are you doing SSH yes, to get? Correct. Uh, well, I have uh, a VPS just somewhere else, and the uh, the point is the NKFS folder is only decrypted when you mount it. So the folder which I sync to the cloud is the folder the encrypted data. And how does it handle like uh, small file changes? Like if you do like uh, you're only updating maybe three lines in your notes file, does it update the whole file? Is it? Uh, well, the the NKFS part works like this. It works per file, so that's very nice. It's not like you have a throughput volume and you have to unmount it. Yeah, right. It works per file, but because I have it set very strictly, you can give options if you want per file uh, chaining and that kind of stuff. I've said it very strictly so that every change I make in a file after a write makes the entire file gets re-uploaded and synced. But you can also uh, set um, less restrictive options which make only uh, bigger changes to a file make it upload again. Now, uh, any way to make this work with a Windows machine? Uh, yes. Uh, you have, uh, I think it's uh, a few tools which uh, support SSH on Windows. You have a few tools which support Git on Windows. So what is your solution for mobile? Uh, well, 
Android. I, I only use Android phones. Yeah. And there is an, an open source application in the in the Android App Store. It's called Android, which I use to mount it. Oh, okay. Cool. The, the encrypted oh. folder. And uh, for uh, there's also a few Git clients in the App Store. So which you can sync back the encrypted part. The beautiful thing is you only in the cloud you have the encrypted part and everywhere you where you have Encavis, you can mount a local part. So it is so with Ink oh, Inkdroid, I'm gonna go look that up right now. I did not even know about that. Yeah, that might you, be you also have you also have an app that's called I think it's Box Cryptor, and that's a closed source app and it supports Encavis, but it's for me really important that you have open source code so that you can make sure that nobody yeah. else gets your password and key. Yep. Yeah, big advocates of that here. Wow. Yeah, with, with this solution, when you set it up, and I use it on a Chromebook, on a MacBook Pro, which I have for my uh, my work, uh, on an Android phone, and on two other uh, Ubuntu and Arch Linux machines, and it really works fine. It also handles deletions How? of files and folders. So re- when you say deletions, do you mean it handles revisions of deletions? Uh, no, when I just when I remove a file, it's also removed in the oh. version control. Yeah, okay. Okay, so that's the Spy- gotcha. Spider-OK issues on that. When I had a, deleted the file on one machine, uh, on the other machines, it would just re-upload it because it thought it was a new file on the machine on which it was deleted. So how do you, so with, with having all of your files in Git, then are you able to go in with like a Git Explorer and like pull out certain versions of stuff that you want and things like that? Uh, no, and that is because in Git, only the encrypted part is. Ah, so that's quite of a, a, a right. disadvantage, yeah, not really yeah. for me, right. because the important files, yeah, I make manual backups. But yeah, so because Git doesn't, because Git, because it's encrypted, Git can't make revisions because it doesn't know what is what. Yeah, yeah, it make it makes it makes revisions of the encrypted data, but not of the decrypted data. That's that's the whole point. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That makes sense. One other disadvantage is that you cannot have selective sync, so you cannot have a big NAS with all your files in your phone with just a few, and also because it it's a disadvantage of not knowing what is what and having to mount it encrypted locally. Right. Selective sync is nice, but it does allow you to be lazy too, which honestly that's how I use it. And yeah. complacent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And one of the other nice things with this solution is that, just as I said, I have uh, a lot of source code for companies I work for in my uh, my encrypted folders. And as I said, I had over 9,000 files, and it has totally no performance issues with that. The RAM usage of the syncing process and the NKFS is, I think, less than 90 megabytes, where Spider Oak was on 3 to 4 gigabytes. Holy cow. I got to play more with that. That's interesting. So you've got uh, all uh, how you've done all of this written up on your uh, site, Raimi.org, and I'll have a link to it in the show notes. It's also linked in the uh, subreddit. But uh, You know what a nice part was about? Uh, I put the article on Saturday evening. Yeah. It's the first article I did with a, with a picture, with a diagram, and it was also on the front page on Hacker News. And normally my website has about 1,000 visitors a day, and it got 40,000 extra visits Whoa. in the last four days. Oh, my goodness. Whoa. Whoa. You, so know, you, can, you really notice that people are looking for such a solution. Exactly. And it's not a one-click yeah. easy solution, but it still is there. People are really looking to go off the grid in a sense. Right. Not actually off the grid, but off the surveillance grid. Uh, well, to so. put themselves in more control too, I think is really the big focus. Yeah, isn't that interesting? And, and it's funny how on the other end, I've seen such an explosion in bit message adoption. Um, I'm, I'm just buried now in bit messages. It's awesome. Yeah, so no it's kidding. it's like uh, people are really looking, and and we've seen a huge interest in in mail servers too. Uh, well, Raimi, uh, before we move on to the next topic, is there any other thing you wanted to mention about it, or any other thing you want to touch on? Well, I uh, just said it's not an easy one-click solution, but I hope it will help people with uh, having their uh, encryption and data truly secure and locally. Yeah, I mean, you've got an encrypted sync solution here that is uh, off the surveillance grid, and it's using all open source code, right? 
Yes, that's totally correct. Yeah, that I mean, that's awesome. That's, that's, yeah. that's very awesome. That's very cool. So uh, we'll okay. have a link. People Thank you for out. having me on. Yeah, you met, you bet, man. Thanks for staying up for us after your rough day. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> have you have you have you experienced uh, raid cards that only oh. detect issues when uh, when you oh. reboot the server? Oh 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 yeah. It's funny how like uh, something about that something about that reboot process. If there's something that's going to die, that's when it'll die, even if it's a drive. But yeah, I've I've had the raid card go out on the database server. Today I had eight servers which had that issue, and about twenty four drives are now dead. Eight separate oh. servers? Yeah, with all the same RAID card and the same firmware. The latest firmware from HP. Was oh, it? Wow. Oh, did the firmware nuke it? That might be it. No, the RAID card only detects changes, uh, disk issues when you reboot the server. So we had to reboot after scheduled updates, and eight servers just said, "Whoa, my hard drive's dead." Bye. Oh my. Oh goodness. That is not a good day. That's a bad day. That's okay. I was up at 6 a.m. and it's now 11 p.m. and I'm only home for about an hour. So I'm going to sleep now and my uh, my alarm goes at, at 4 a.m. the next morning because I have to be in the data center again. Uh, well, oh, arm that coffee pot, man, and uh, thank you for joining us. Yeah, so, well, have a good show and I will listen to it tomorrow. All right. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, you bet. Very good. Go get some rest. Um, thank you. Bye. Yeah, bye. Huh? Bye. Thanks. So uh, I wanted to uh, just mention a couple of follow-up items before we uh, chat more with the Mumble guys there. Uh I uh I meant to uh I meant to follow up on this a little while ago. I like mentioned that I was frustrated that the GNOME search in GNOME 3 is not searching documents. Mm-hmm. It's just on my machine. And Oh, is it really? The only oh. the only GNOME time I've ever used GNOME 3.8 is in this installation of Arch. In fact, when I installed this installation of Arch, it was like one of the few places you could actually get GNOME 3.8. It hadn't hit the mm-hmm. other distros yet. Well, so uh I don't know why it doesn't work on my machine. It does work for everybody else on the internet, though, and they all told me. So we even got, like, on the uh, comments section for this sh- for last week's show, we even got, like, a really nice screenshot. I don't know if you saw that, but it, like, it was, like, yeah. it was even, it even looked, of course, it's gnome-related, so it just looked gorgeous. Sure, sure, sure. But, uh, oh, so that's that- bizarre. That's bizarre. Of course, then, you know, I'm using uh, Synapse or whatever you want to call it, and so I just, yeah, I've, I, you know, I don't really have too many troubles there. So Yeah, you, your days are numbered, my friend. That Synapse uh, project, no. they haven't been pushing new code for a while. I have not. I'll probably go to Gnome Do. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Uh, and also, just a quick yeah. uh, update. I I made an app pick on last uh, GD Map for uh, scanning your uh, drive and showing up in blocks for us KDE users. K4 Durstat. Durst? Really? K4 okay. Durstat. And uh, that is a KDE version. Sounds very German. Some people say that even when Durstat's based off of. So take that as you will. Um, okay. So I wanted to uh, I wanted to get to a topic today that it kind of got me thinking. I in the subreddit, a couple I think it was like an episode actually one of this show. I said, man, it sure would be great. Gosh, it'd be great if there was some sort of website out there collating the Steam numbers and giving us some nice charts to look at. That and, would be fantastic, right? And well, that happened. Oh, uh, one of uh, one of our listeners, um, uh, Matechi, I think Matechi, Matechi, how do you Matechi? Matechi. Matechi. I bet it's Matechi. I bet that's how you say it. He started a Steam survey charts over at his uh, over at his site, and it is not looking good for Linux. Not looking good, Matt. Not it, it, In fact, when I say not looking good, I mean it looks real bad. It looks real bad. Would it be bad, to, and I'm going to get probably set on fire for this, but is it bad to say it's because the folks that run Linux have jobs? I was going to say it's because <laughs> I was going to ask <laughs> you, and then, so I, I, here's what I'm thinking. Think we take a break. We'll thank our first sponsor. Then I'm yeah. going to toss it to you. I got a couple. Okay. I got a couple things I want to throw your way. 
I'm going to toss it to you. Are Linux users on whole, on a whole, obviously there's going to be individual cases, but right. are Linux users cheap? And I got a couple. I I got a, I, you know, uh, wait, we'll get into it. that. Because we'll we'll I'm going to convince you otherwise, I think, but yeah, we'll see. I, we will I, see. But first, Matt, I want to thank our first sponsor this week, and that is Ting.com. Now, Ting is mobile that makes sense, my friend, and Ting was uh, the lifesaver at PAX. I think I mentioned this on Sunday's last, but really, I was the only guy, except for another guy that also was on uh, Ting service, that had a working cell phone. And uh, I cannot tell you, when when I had a client who was in full-fledged freakout mode and they needed Chris to make everything better, having to, to make that phone call... Uh, being able to make those phone calls while I was on the expo- exposition floor of PAX um, was, a, was just it was uh, invaluable. I would have I would have paid any monthly service for that. And uh, of course, I'm just paying for what I use. That's one of the great things about Ting. Look, go to linux.ting.com. We got Linux for this show, so go to linux.ting.com. That'll uh, get you twenty five dollars off your first Ting device or twenty five dollars of service credits for your first month of service. Um, I have the HTC One. And that 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 guy powered powered through it real well, real good. It was it was I was quite happy. However, now I know it's this is the same phone, but I just noticed now Ting has the HTC Blue. Um, Ooh, hey, that's new, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, and they also have this S4 Purple. I didn't know that. Uh, the HTC One Blue is going to be the phone I want. But what I'm I'm holding out. I'm going to see. I want to just say if you if you've been looking at phones, go over to Linux.Ting.com. And you're not sure which one you want to get because these are off contract. That's the that's a good thing, but it also means they're going to be a little high, a little bit higher in price. Of course, in the long run, you're saving money, and even after the cost of the phone, you're probably going to save money in some circumstances. Oh yeah, you're going to save big buckets of money. Right. However, you can buy used on Ting, and there's really a lot of options here on this on that tab. They have buy used, and they have the personal shopping service where they'll go out and find a device. You just give them the parameters, screen size, OS, etc., and they'll go get you a refurbished phone that works on ting that's awesome really awesome however maybe you might be in the situation where uh you want to have multiple people on the line ting makes that real easy it's just six dollars a month and you pay for what you use so you could have yourself a smartphone and maybe there's somebody else in your family maybe it's a a significant other maybe it's a parent maybe it's a kid and they don't need to have a full-fledged smartphone or you don't want them to have a full-fledged smartphone or maybe you don't want a full-fledged smartphone i mean i can totally understand that uh, they have got the Samsung, which is a really great flip phone, the Samsung M370. It's very sturdy, very reliable, 52 bucks. And if you go to linux.ting.com, Ting is going to take $25 off of that. So that's, that's a, practically nothing. Yeah, that's practically nothing to get you on a Ting that's phone. Right. And then you're only paying for the price you use. Ting just takes your minutes used, your, your, uh, your text and your data. Adds them all up at the end of the month and then puts you in a bucket and you can check on their online dashboard at any time to see where you're at, to know exactly where you're trending. And the great thing is if you go with a smartphone, you get all these great features like built-in hotspot and tethering. You've gotten caller ID and all these things that the cellular com- other cellular companies will sort of fit into the tax brackets or sort of fit into like these bolt-on services. And none of that happens. No ride-alongs with Ting. It's just nice, easy, straight, simple, forward mobile. They've also got that airwave. So if you want to boost cellular service in your house, you can plug one of these into your house. It'll use your internet connection. And then you get four bars or five, whatever your phone reads. You get full signal in your house. And uh, then all of the, but the phone, the OS, everything is just, just talking over the cellular. So everything that you would have work over your cellular works right over one of those things. It's really, really quite that's good. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. And, and to be able to take 25 bucks off of any one of those, especially that little flip phone, that's pretty cool. I know. When you're starting at 50 bucks and then you take 25 mm-hmm. bucks off and then you're paying just for what you use every single month, this is yep. 
the best. This is the value. This is the best value out there, and the service is great. The people are great, and the company's really good too. So go to linux.ting.com and uh, get yourself something nice on a really easy to use, simple to follow site. I was so impressed when I activated my devices. How easy that was, man! You just recently did that. I tell me, is that not the most straightforward device activation I couldn't process? Believe how simple it was. I mean, like even th- even though that it was still, I had to uh, make sure it was basically deactivated from your stuff because I got the phone from you. It was brain dead simple to do. I you mean, know, it was just like type in a couple buttons. I mean, every, the instructions were easy to set up. And then once I actually activated the phone, it was like three seconds. Like, boop, boop, damp, boom, 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 I feel know? like good UI designers. And, yeah. and I think maybe maybe Ting's got like a real good group on their hands. And maybe here's what their trick is. If I was a good – here's what makes a good UI designer. I say you get three or four beers into the wind. Then you try to use your site. And if you can use it efficiently, you know you got a really well-designed site. Well, let me tell right. you. Ting passes the three or four beer test. I've done, I've been on Ting's website several times, three or four beers in, and I never get lost. So they, I just say, if you're if you're an interface design person out there, go take a look at their site, learn a little bit, and try the beer challenge for yourself. And it makes for a fantastic website. It makes it super cle- clear and easy. So that way, when you have family members, like my mom's on Ting, and when I have her go to the Ting site, I can just remember it all from the top of my head when I'm walking around because I, it's so straightforward. So I'm like, yeah, click there, click there. Okay, you're done. Bye, Mom. And we're all set. But if Mom wanted to call into Ting, she could. Ting has uh, representatives that answer the phone. You can call them. 1-855-846-4389. And they're available 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. You call in and a real person answers the phone. And so if there's something Mom can't do on the website, I just have Mom call Ting. Well, and that's awesome because not only are they going to get a real person when they call in, but they're, if they're maybe they're not really into doing stuff on the website, they prefer to deal with a person. What a great option. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So go to uh, linux.ting.com and start saving right now, you guys. Don't be crazy. Don't be crazy. All right, Matt. So here we go. You ready for my Linux users might be cheap? And I, I I'm a Linux user. I, I, I'm not cheap, but I'm just saying. <laughs> so uh, I got an inside guy. Um, I don't know if he's in the chat room right now, but I got an inside okay. guy. And he's been sussing out the numbers. Suss is my word of the week. He's been sussing out the numbers from the Ubuntu Software Center. And we're looking now, Ubuntu, uh, Ubuntu, supposedly the number one deployed desktop Linux operating system. Our own web stats would back that up. Mm-hmm. Uh, the That's... number one app in the Ubuntu Software Center right now is FileCryptor Professional. The number two app is WPA Generator, and the number three app is FileCryptor. All right. Out of these top apps, the first app goes for $4.99. The second app goes for $3, and the third app goes for $2.99. Now, here's the thing. Of these are the top three applications in the Ubuntu Software Center. None of them have ratings. None of them have average. None of them have comments. Nothing. They're all blank. I, I should take comments back. Uh, ratings. None of them have any interaction on that level. And when talking to these developers... They're making, at best, a couple hundred dollars a month. And that's being pretty generous. From the software side. <laughs> really, yeah, that's yeah, pretty generous. It is. And that's like the top, that was like the top app, actually, that made that much money. Mm. Um, and now the time skew was a little short. It wasn't a full month, but still, it is, the numbers are devastating. Now we go over to Steam. Since Steam has launched, it has gone in a sharp decline. On January 13th, Steam had, Linux Steam usage, had a 1.12% market share. On February 13th, it went up to 2.02%. That was after we were out of beta and all this good stuff. Then, from that point forward, June goes down to 1.07%, July 1.06%. Now in August, we're below 1%. We're at 0.93%. So we're dropping off. 
Okay. Now, okay. you got to ask yourself, because Linux is free and a lot of the software is free, is it more attractive to people who don't want to pay for software? Is, it, is this not a marketplace where you can make a living writing software and selling it to Linux users? So here's how, here's how I see it. First of all, if I'm going to buy anything, if I can get an equitable alternative for free, I would be mouth-breathing stupid not to. So, of course, I'm going to go that route. Now, as far as the two, you know, the two marketplaces, whether it be Steam or the Ubuntu Software Center, the Ubuntu Software Center is a little bit like trying to do grocery checkout at your dentist office or at the DMV. <laughs> it's horrible. Oh, it's the, it is absolutely hideous. Now, I mean, now for free apps, it's reasonably painless because all you're going to do is enter a password and you're done. Yeah, but, but when you like to buy an app, you got to oh, put in like your shipping address and everything. Oh god, it's just it's just stupid. Yeah. So you know, so that's that's hideous. Steam's is actually not so bad, but I think that the bigger problem, especially when you look at it from the fact that, like, I'll use Steam as a better example because that's really where we had a nice peak and it kind of dropped off. I think the people that were really excited about getting on the games have then done so, and. I would be interested in comparing a contrast with what's going on in the Windows space. Is there also a decline there? Or perhaps maybe there's a surge of new Windows games coming out to where maybe there's not as many compelling new uh, Linux games coming out. That's an interesting point. Uh, the Windows, you know, the Windows penetration like? seems to be fairly steady. In January, okay. it was 94.56%. It drops right. down slightly between February and July, but then it's back to 94.59%, slightly above where it was in January. So since Linux has come out for Steam... Windows usage has actually gone up slightly. And so I would say that it's not so much a pro- – I don't think the problem was with Linux at all. I think it's a lot of its availability of – give me something compelling. Uh, you know, OK, for existing Linux games, do you have a map pack that's come out? Maybe there's a, uh, something compelling to add on to my existing games. What new things are out there as an existing Steam user that's going to make me say, oh, hey, let me, let me make that purchase? Maybe there are some games that are out there. Maybe there aren't. Maybe you're already into your game and you would like to expand on that existing experience. So I, I would need more data before I can completely rule it out as a, a Linux thing. Because I mean, like you know, the uh, uh, humble bumble, bleh, hum, humble bundles. Yeah, exactly. that's true. That's true. You know, it's done really well. And so, but then again, they're doing it's something different. In, in, and in I think honestly, the success so. of that humble bundle was was one of the things that brought Steam over. I mean, I right. you know, yeah, I, so. Uh, yeah, that, that's a good point. I'm going to, so, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'll ask the mumble room. I don't know if, okay. the, if the guys in the on-air channel have any, if anybody in here has any thoughts on if, if Linux users are just cheap, um, you know, we've but all with software, I would say yes, but not with games. Uh, that's my big difference. Do you think, you think it's maybe windows users are willing, Linux users are willing to pay for certain things and not other things. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, I look at like when I try and find something on, on OS 10, cause I have to do this occasionally. It astounds me. At the stupid software titles that are being they're they're charging twenty thirty dollars. Oh for. yeah, I know, right? And it's yeah. just like, and, and it's like, you really think I'm going to do that? No, <laughs> you know, it's like I'm not going to give you my money. So I think that it's a lot of what you're used to. Linux users have an expectation that if they hunt hard enough, because the Ubuntu Software Center is not the end all to be all of software. If you hunt hard enough, a lot of times you can find uh, a package that's compatible with your distro that's going to offer you a way to accomplish the task you're trying to do. May not be as glossy, may not be as pretty, but a lot of times you can get it done. And uh, you can get it done for free. So uh, we got the mumble room open. Uh, we just heard okay. Jack in the Box uh, type in a little bit. But I'm curious, uh, anybody in here, Josh or Mad Joe or Miracode, uh, uh, we haven't heard from you or uh, uh, Westra's in here. We haven't heard from you guys. Uh, you guys think Linux users are cheap? Do you think um, um, it's something else? What What is your explanation? No. Go ahead, Microcode. You first. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm a few milliseconds closer than any of you. 
significant July. Um, I, I think it's a mix of the fact that people are a little bit cheap. However, I think a lot of professional users also use uh, systems, and that may be part of the issue, where we have people who are generally busy going in and not having time really to play these games. Hmm. All right. Yeah, so, Josh, yeah. what do you think, Josh? Is it uh, is it Linux users are too busy? No. So, my opinion is, for instance, with the Ubuntu Software Center, your those apps, like half of those apps, are not integrated with the operating system. They're using right. like an old GTK library, which, like for instance, GTK two, which one looks terrible, and two, the apps just suck. Like jungle three, style, yeah. Right, and then yeah. they're just charging like an obscene amount, and, and like, well, it's four dollars or three dollars. Is that an obscene amount? I mean, so the top we had four ninety nine, three dollars, and two ninety nine. I, I think for I think for apps that don't integrate with the OS that are outdated, or for instance, when I went on there the other day, I saw a Windows Phone eight app in there, which is just like <laughs> I don't even know how that got through the review process, but it was wow. in there. Um, oh, so you're talking about applications rather than yeah, yeah. I, I'm talking about applications within the Ubuntu Software Center regarding Steam. Yes, I think I people want a very smooth experience, and I don't think we're quite there yet. And it's not at the fault it it's not exactly at the fault of the developers. With some, it's regarding their game optimization, but with some, it's the drivers. We're getting there. I think it might be a couple of years, depending on Linux adoption. Uh, I think Valve's really pushing it. So I think we're going to see drivers improve a lot. Um, but I just don't think we're quite there yet with a lot of the games. And a lot of the AAA titles aren't even on Linux. So until then, I'm kind of like stuck on Windows. Yeah, you know? that's true. We are still missing. Yeah. Okay, well, so is it this? Oh, so Green in the chat room is mentioning System76. and. Uh, I would say they are a premium brand. They are a very high quality device that you know delivers on what they say. And I I feel like as a Linux user, I'm more picky about what I spend my money on. Like I'll buy right. Steam games if it's a good game. I'll I would even I've bought apps from the Ubuntu Software Center. Now I can't really use them, but I have. Uh, and I'll buy a Bonobo when they when you know there's a good Linux laptop. So for me, is it is it actually that Linux users maybe are just more discerning? That's I, yeah. I, I would I would lean with that. I think that we our expectations are we're not going to get you know the first bill of goods that you serve to us we're not going to necessarily jump on board like we see with OS ten and uh, Windows OS ten especially. Um, that, that's where I've really seen it the worst. Mass. So I think that's definitely a big piece of it. Uh, but as far as like integration and all that, and as far as like making a, an application center that doesn't suck, I, I hate to you know beat the dead horse again, but I'm sorry, it's been done. And we're going, and, and Ubuntu went backwards. Not only did they go and hire Linspire developers that worked on CNR from Linspire and actually integrated them into the Ubuntu software project, they then managed to make it suck harder. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, I don't know how that works Ouch. because Linspire sucked. Don't get me wrong. I hated their model. I didn't like a lot of what was going on there. But that piece of it, before they decided to make it available to all the distributions, was the most seamless software experience I've ever seen. It was just apt, it wasn't anything wonderful, but I could do an entire aisle of software, go to another computer, yeah. log in, aisle, bam, done. That is it nice. was very, very seamless. So, you know, the Ubuntu Software Center really lacks that seamless experience. Steam, however, is pretty close. I think Steam is probably closer than anything else out there for yeah. Linux. Yeah. So, but yeah. now we're going to see that. So, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, yeah, Josh. Go ahead. 
Um, I just think uh, going back to that question you asked, are, are Linux users cheap? Yeah. Um, I don't think I don't think we are cheap. I think because mm-hmm. we're power users, we're all power users. We want to find the best for us, and we will look n- until they, we can't look anymore to find what we want, and then. At the end of the the search, if there's something that's not that's not free, then we will end up buying it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, I'm going to move on. I'm going to move us on. Uh, Can I? Uh, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Your, go ahead. If you had a, you didn't get a chance to toss in, so if you had a final closing thought, go ahead. So with Ubuntu Software Center, yes, there are some issues. Performance is certainly one of them. Yeah. Um, and one of the other issues is the minimum payment level. Um, is right. quite high. So there are no 99 cent apps in Ubuntu Software Center because of the payment provider that Canonical uses um, to do the payments for apps in Software Center, which right. makes it less attractive for people making you know very small apps um, okay. that could potentially get very high volume sales. Um, not everyone in every region can pay uh, because you know certain restrictions with credit cards and certain ages it makes right. it difficult and they might not be able to use PayPal either. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there, there's also a significant hurdle to installing apps uh, because you have to sign up for an Ubuntu single sign-on account, and that's not exactly. seamless inside um, Software Center. Right. And the fundamental issue: there's a lack of content. You know, when when you don't have you know enough content, when there isn't the sea of applications that you get on Android and on iOS, where you can just page down and page down and page down and keep going. Okay, you'll find some dross in there, but there'll be an awful lot of stuff in there for you to choose from. You'll almost certainly find it. And until we've got that vast amount of content, it's very difficult to get you know realistic sales figures. So, is um, is App Grid going to solve some of this problem? Is is Ubuntu's new uh, software center redesign going to be sort of a a reset on some of this? Yes, to some degree. Um, and part of it is that we haven't we haven't jumped the chasm yet. We're still, as um, Chris says, we're we're geeks. The people who are using Linux and Ubuntu mm-hmm. e- even now are mostly geeks, and so they're looking for geek tools, and they're happy with you know wget and you exactly. know downloading uh, downloading yeah. an RPM and using Alien to turn it into a Deb, or, you know <laughs> that kind of stuff. Whereas whereas right. Normal people, we haven't got to them yet. You know, the mums and dads and the and then the kids, we haven't got to them. So it's very difficult to um, to, to say that this is like normal behaviour. It's normal for us, but it's not normal for them. Right. Um, and and ideally, yeah, this will all be fixed with fourteen oh four and fourteen ten with click packages and in dash purchases. So you'll be able to just um, oh. scroll down through the dash, see an app, and just click on it and install it. You know, you won't have to go off to a store to go and find it. I've you always thought that. In- I've always wondered if that'd be coming to the dash. That makes a lot of sense that that would be in the dash because the dash has the ability to suggest and recommend apps in the software center. So exactly, and, th- and then and the that, dash becomes useful. Be, yeah, the, yeah, it's, you can kind of see like the pe- the the uh, pieces of it are there. Um, so uh, cool. I'm going to link to a little article here that's uh, talking about getting an uh, app grid on 13.04 and a little takes a little look at it. I know it's something that Canonical's working on. So I'm hopeful that I'm what I what I come back to is I hope it does come down to it's like it's it's like uh, it's it's it is it's the it's the challenges to payment it's the challenges to create an account it's the price issue it's the inventory issue and it's also the volume issue and so it's not any one particular thing so it's not fair to say well Linux users are cheap that might be a component of it I would say it's they're more picky. And uh, there's also yeah. we, we haven't had a, a decent um, unified SDK across 
across right. all the platforms. Right. And now we have, now we're building one that works on phones, tablets, TVs, desktops, you know, everything. Yeah. So effectively a developer can write their app, sell it for 99 cents and it will run on all those form factors. Ideally that should bring more people in. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Come back in a year and right. you know, see yeah. if it's fixed. Yeah. And, and, uh, I think, you know, it's, it's definitely, if it doesn't cause, if it if it if it doesn't result in that, it's at least the right move to make, and it uh, it seems to only be setting up for success. Who knows if it'll bring success? But it's at least positioning uh, in the right direction. So let's hope so. I'm hopeful. All right, I'm hopeful as well. So we we, we declare it. Linux users not necessarily cheap, and to stay tuned. And you know, honestly, I think what you see there in the Steam stats actually being reflected is initial excitement, and then uh-huh. sort of people right. getting like you guys are all saying, getting back to work. But what it does show you is. Uh, when all the Linux users are really excited to go in for some reason, maybe it's some new release or some update, you can get up to 2% of Steam on Linux. Now, maybe your, uh, maybe your sustained um, average run rate is, is 1%, but on peaks, if you can get up to 2%, that at least means the audience is there for Steam. And you know, it could be different members of that 2% are in there at different times. At any given time, their concurrent rate is only 1%. That's true. No, that's actually a good point. I, I still think they could really do wonders if they could find a way to get people to come back and say, hey, I've got the games I'm really excited about. That's not going to change. I'm not yeah. necessarily looking for new ones. Get me something that's going to enhance my existing game experience. That's why I like uh, that Natural Selection 2 so much because that just feels like a triple A. Mm-hmm. People send me in bit messages saying, turn down your texture quality. It won't crash as much on you. Which always hurts, right? Because on the Bonobo, I, yeah. the first thing I do, I go and say, everything crank, crank everything, crank everything, crank all that. Yeah. It's out of principle. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Uh, I just wanted to kick a topic around with you. It's not too related to Linux, but it happened today, and you got to wonder. You look at Ubuntu Touch, you look at Firefox OS. So I'm going to ask you, Matt, Unity Sync. I got to talk about Unity Sync before we go on our second sponsor this week. What is Unity Sync? Well, find out for yourself. Go to derwiz.com slash Unity Sync, but I'll give you a hint since you're asking me. Unity Sync is a centralized service that synchronizes data between different types of directories. Now, I don't mean like a directory on your hard drive. I'm talking real enterprise-grade directories, Active Directory, Zimbra Directories, Open LDAP, Comnigate Pro, um, Oracle Internet Directory, Sun One, iPlanet. Yeah, it'll do iPlanet group-wise. Yeah, enough people actually ask. They implemented group-wise support. It'll also do Microsoft SQL Access, Oracle Sybase, MySQL, Postgres, SQLite, LDIF, CFE files, here's what you can do. You can move either the entire directory or just attributes of the directory seamlessly between the different directories and all from the Unity Sync service that runs on either a Windows box or a Linux box and doesn't require its own database. Unity Sync allows you to solve this problem that has plagued IT for centuries. Since we have had online databases, IT has struggled with this. I know, I know, I... I know. I know your plight, friends. I know your plights. And here's the good news. No scripting or programming is required. All of Unity Sync's attribute management is handled by an easy-to-learn template system, requiring no programming experience. However, there is a little Python under the hood, or not Python, uh, Perl, that you can get in there and do some Perl scripting if you want to do some massaging. These templates are great. You can make sure data is exactly what you expect. Look, when Susie in HR updates her application because somebody new cha- or somebody changed their last name, you need to get that reflected in whatever the IT data- database has pointed out for the global directory for your entire company. You want to look like one unified organization with different data stores? Unity Sync solves that for you by bringing all of these things together and letting you control. Plus, Unity Sync's easy-to-use web interface let, lets you do dry runs, lets you get reports, lets you just check on the status of things. It's really quite easy and quite simple to set up, but yet extremely powerful. Clocking in at just under 5 megabytes, this enterprise-grade software, friends, and, of course, it runs on Linux, 
is used by some really big names, including, oh, the Canadian Department of National Defense. Yeah, yeah, those guys. Yeah, yeah, you've heard of them? What about General Dynamics? Yeah, General Dynamics, they're a customer of UnitySync, and they use UnitySync to move data between their different directories. Oh, uh, the MLB, Washington Nationals as well. MLB Major League Baseball HQ also uses UnitySync. You baseball fans, FYI on that one. You're welcome. Go over to Derwiz.com and check out UnitySync. Just go to Derwiz.com slash UnitySync. And when you decide you want to grab it, you know, just to try it out, you can get a free trial. If you use the code Linux, it'll extend it to a full 30-day trial. So you get an extra extended trial plus your first year of maintenance is going to be absolutely free. So once you pull that trigger, you're going to be taken care of for a year. And that's a really great deal. So go to Derwiz.com slash UnitySync. Check it out and be impressed I know it's going to solve your problems. I have struggled with this myself. And if you're out there with this kind of problem, UnitySync is going to make you the IT hero. So thanks to Derwiz for sponsoring Linux Unplugged. So I'm going to ask you, Matt, uh, Microsoft today announcing they're buying the Nokia phone division uh, for $7.2 billion. This is coming uh, from, well, everywhere on the Internet. Uh, Stephen Elop will be uh, stepping down as Nokia's CEO, and he'll be heading up Nokia's Devices and Services Division, which is actually going to just become part of Microsoft. Um, And uh, Nokia will now focus on their Nokia Now brand, which is their mapping stuff, and their Nokia Network Services uh, stuff, which I guess they've had some good traction lately. And uh, the 30,000 employees of Nokia will be joining Microsoft. And Microsoft will be taking the Apple route and the Nexus route of developing their hardware more closely, sort of like the Moto X or the right, iPhone. right. Well, yeah, they're following Google suit. I mean, that's exactly what they're doing. So, what do you think this means for? Uh, so, it's already a very locked down market. I mean, it, it's you got you got your incumbents, Android, iOS, and BlackBerry, and Microsoft in there. Uh, and we were already saying, like, gosh, this doesn't seem like it's very practical for somebody like Ubuntu Touch or Firefox OS to break in. Is Microsoft becoming a, a phone maker? Is is this is this uh, is this a big deal? Is this going to lock it down completely, or is this a total irrelevant move? Well, here's the problem: is that first of all, like, let's go to like the uh, Firefox phones, for example. They've mastered grassroots. They obviously have got it nailed. I think they totally nailed that one. So that's something they can go to like eBay or something totally obscure and still get the sales happening. Microsoft is under the amusing delusion that they're still relevant in this space, and it just it just it just cracks me up, especially as they're kick, you know as the CEO is <coughs> retiring. Um, anyway, so you know, cough, cough. Yeah, right. Anyway, so the whole point of it is, is that you know, so just because you go and buy a company like Nokia, who back in the '90s were really awesome, and they still maintain decent numbers out of the out of the United States. I, I'm sure there's still people that use those phones over the over the borders. But honestly, I don't really see that as being a real relevant, exciting thing because, you know, the Firefox phone comes out or the Ubuntu phone comes out. It's something completely unique and different that we haven't tried before. Where with the Windows phone, we already tried it. We weren't real impressed with it. So now we want more of it. It doesn't really okay. jive. I get you. You know what I mean? Well, let me give it's you like, a wait, devil's advocate uh, here. So. so okay. I'll play devil's advocate. Um, I'm the I'm in the enterprise. I'm a business. I'm a let's say I'm a hospital. I've got a lot yeah. of Windows applications. But one of the things you can't argue is Surface RT is kind of a snore, right? And it's, it's crap. It, yeah. <laughs> but Nokia, on the other hand, makes fantastic hardware. They and do. and they do. if I had a Nokia 
made Surface RT and or Surface X86 or whatever. And I'm a doctor's office. I'm a hospital. I've got all of this stuff already on the Windows platform. I can get these devices. I can have them cooperate with my file formats. I can have them access my Windows file servers and join the domain potentially and all this kind of stuff. I can have group policy applied to them, etc. Maybe not on RT, but on the x86 version. Um, could it be that what Microsoft is going to do is sort of lock down this um, this sector of the market where it's 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 a personal device, but it's a business device first, and it's it needs to get some work done, and it needs to be compatible, and maybe this is what they're going to do is create a hardware platform that is all of these disenfranchised Windows eight. Corporations who are refusing to go to Windows 8 eventually are going to have to pick something. They're either going to have to go to 8 or 9, whatever it is at the time they make mm-hmm. their leap. They're going to have to switch to Linux. They're going to have to switch to the Mac. What if Microsoft came to them and said, well, look, a ton of your staff members are coming in with iPads and Android devices, and this is driving your IT crazy, and you guys can't standardize on this. But they obviously need this functionality. It's great for meetings. It's great for taking inventory, et cetera, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. So here's what we're going to do. We're Microsoft. We now own this hardware company. We're going to work directly with them to make a Windows product, and this is what you can move to. You can have Windows on the desktop, you can have Windows on the server, and now you can have Windows on the mobile client device, and we create all of it. I think that if they – that's the right idea, but here's why they won't do it. I mean they should, and that would be – if you were working for them, they'd actually be doing well because you're right. That's exactly <laughs> where they need to be. They need to be an enterprise, and they need to make it, things seamless for the end user as well as sane for the ITP. Look, man, I got a good piece of malware, and I need to get that across your entire organization as fast as possible. Right? Well, yeah, no, but I mean, they can still lock it down at some level, I'm sure. But yeah, yeah. no, it's it's Windows, so you're still going to always have that as an issue. But but besides that, I think that yes, if they stuck with the IT market or stuck with the enterprise market and really continue to master what that's where they do well. Um, that would be fine, but that's not what's going to happen. What we're going to see is we're going to see another commercial with dancing idiots and flapping tablets, and they're going to try for consumer again. That's the problem. You yeah. see, if they stuck with they stuck with what you're talking about, that would actually make a lot of sense. But they won't do that exclusively. They'll they'll dabble in that, but they but the consumer market is sexy. You know, it's it's the they want to be kind of the Apple folks. And when they get a new CEO in there, I think that's what's going to happen. I think that they're going to be like, well, we need to be more relevant in the consumer market because that's really where growth is. Because the enterprise market, they tend to kind of lock down in segments and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, you know. stagnate. Yeah. I mean, I've seen banks still using Windows 2000. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, oh, yeah. Like, it's, it's bad. It's bad. So, you so know, they I, know that. So they want growth. Um, yeah. I'll ask, okay, mumble chat room, uh, anybody in here <laughs> that uh, wants to tune, chime, chime in, what do you think? Is Microsoft buying up Nokia bad for the free and open mobile operating systems. I'm thinking specifically Firefox OS, Ubuntu Touch, because I kind of saw them as having potential inroads to the enterprise, especially Ubuntu Touch with convergence. I think that could be big in enterprise. Uh, But if Microsoft comes along and they've got Nokia hardware, they've got the Windows desktop, they've got the Windows mobile crap, it's all crap, but enterprises will buy it anyways. Uh, It's standardized, that's why, yeah. Yeah, is this this sort of closing the door of opportunity for these up-and-coming mobile operating systems? Mumble room, I ask you. Not. I hope not. Um, but as Mr. Mango also on the chat room mentioned, uh, Nokia owns a lot of patents, and I think that uh, Microsoft is going to use those patents to uh, to hurt uh, Firefox and all the other uh, operating systems. Oh, right. that's a great point. Um, yeah. 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 Nokia that is their style. Still owns, Nokia still owns a, a large segment of their IP. The difference is Microsoft has like a 10-year... Um, reciprocal license right. with Nokia regarding those. So I believe Nokia still owns 
uh, a lot of his patent so portfolio. So some of it, like the Qualcomm stuff goes to Microsoft. The other stuff, Microsoft has a 10-year license, I believe, with the option at some point, at any point, to make it a perpetual license. Right. So regarding Nokia getting bought out for the most part by Microsoft, it shouldn't come to anyone by surprise. Back in Build 2012 and reiterated in 2013, Microsoft clearly stated that they're pushing more towards becoming a devices and services company. Mm-hmm. So, Because they've done the so well of, so far. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. Well, apparently the Surface Pro is doing all right. It's just the, the Surface RT that's been a complete flop, and everyone knows why. Yeah. Um, that's true. That's true. But Nokia is a very established brand, and if they could yeah. bring that level of hardware to Microsoft's other products, eh, we might see a bit more success. I don't know, yeah. and I guess time will tell. Yeah, I, well, I think the patent thing is going to be the scary thing to watch. I, I yep. totally agree with you guys. Um, I'm, I'm well, the, the patents are still owned by Nokia, and Microsoft just have a cross-license to use them. That doesn't mean they get a ch- an opportunity to use them in court against other oh, okay. people. Well, some of the, quali- no, the Qualcomm stuff will be owned by Microsoft, and there's a lot of cellular stuff in that, in those, in that Qualcomm portfolio. Right, but they, right. Don't, like, they don't own Qualcomm license. They just are allowed to leverage oh, the right. current deal that Nokia you're has right, yeah. with Qualcomm. Yeah, right. So they probably couldn't sue over that. Yeah, yeah, right. They can't right. pull the trigger on yeah. it. Okay. Yeah, so they're – yeah, okay. Well, Good point. Good point. What I find um, interesting is that Nokia have uh, let Microsoft use the name Nokia on their products, but uh, and Nokia can't make smartphones under this agreement until 2015, and in which case they are allowed to make smartphones. Um, and the announcement said that their award-winning design team, manufacturing and assembly facilities around the world. Uh, that, that Microsoft are absorbing, but it doesn't actually mention engineering, software development, and research. Right. In fact, I believe Nokia's lead engineer, or I mean lead designer, just announced he's leaving Nokia to pursue entrepreneurial op- op- um, opportunities, it was. Uh, yeah, and that could be a good a good move for um, Yola or, you know, uh, Mozilla may go around hiring might, or oh, man. Canonical. Oh, That'd man. Like one of those, that would be interesting if they snapped him up. Uh, and you know, like Jerem saying, man, am I glad QT is out of Nokia now, <laughs> right? QT okay, is, kidding. Uh, has been saved. Now, what do you guys think about the, uh, kind of the elephant in the room is, so Stephen Elop, former Microsoft employee goes to Nokia. Everyone has always said he's a Trojan horse. Now he's going to step down as CEO and he's going to become head of devices and services, which is getting absorbed by Microsoft. Julie Larson Green, who had just gotten promoted in this whole reshuffle, she got like moved way up to the top and was reporting right to Balmer, now reports to Elop and Elop reports to Balmer. So do you think Elop is our next CEO of Microsoft? Yes. I would say he's yes. either that or he's going to be our yes. Cheney. <laughs> I, th- I totally think I, like they'll yeah, have like I'm a, sorry. I mean, he's not. I mean, just looking at this picture, you, you got to have someone that's no. He, he's just. I can't. You got to have a nice figurehead in there. And I think they learned their lesson from Balmer that he's just not really. The consumers just aren't really buying it. So you got Elop pulling the strings well, of some. Yeah, puppet. I got him pulling the strings. I think he's the brains that's of the operation for sure. But I don't think he's the front man. I think he's behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, almost anybody would be an upgrade from Balmer, though, right? Oh, I mean, oh gosh, yeah. don't get me started, yeah. man. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> Heaven's Revenge just joined us. Heaven, uh, before we move off on this topic, did you want to uh, chime in with any thoughts? Well, Balmer might have kept him as a, if you can hear me all right. Yeah, we can. Balmer might have yeah, kept him as a uh, devices or a personal computer company because I don't think they're going to try to stay as a PC company for very much longer. Not at all. Yeah, I, I think... 
we're we're seeing them advance more towards you know promoting Windows Azure, which is already a one billion dollar business. We see yeah. them bringing Office over to multiple platforms. Which lol, good luck. I but. think I think um, what you're I don't think they're going to drop it right. I think they're going to canonical focus Brown. a little bit on mobile. They're going to kind of make that shift where mobile is the is the priority, but desktop is an important client operating system that also interacts with some of the same cloud services that mobile does. I'm not saying this is a good idea, but what I'm saying is. I don't. I, I think they see the consumer devices as just as critical to the success as their enterprise devices. Because what what Balmer, at least Balmer, I believe has um, has felt like he's learned from Apple is if you get the consumers to buy the gadgets, they'll bring it to the enterprise. And so you kind of it's like it's like you, it's like a front. You got to have you got to have a stake in the consumer space and you got to have a stake in the enterprise space because the two merge together and meet. So I yeah. think he's thinking I, I mean I think I would assume Microsoft always sees Windows as key to that overall strategy, but right, it's no longer going to be a Windows company, right? I mean Windows is going to be part mm-hmm. of that company, but it's just like Canonical is no longer the Ubuntu desktop company, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. No, I see them just and and with their heavy focus on going into basically a hardware mindset. Someone said, "Well, they do hardware well." I mean, remember the Xbox, and it's, that, that's true. But from my memory, that that division was left alone enough to where they were able to be successful. It was, um, the it was other very uh, departments in Microsoft. I uh, not you know it, it's kind of hit and miss really, and I think Windows is probably the one that's really taken the biggest hit. So I I don't know this whole reorganization thing where Balmer ends up. You know he leaves, who comes in, all this sort of stuff. At the end of the day, what you're left with is they need to make a decision as to who the hell they're marketing the product to. I don't care if they're selling pears or bananas or what; it doesn't make any difference. Who's their market? And they can't seem to get their brain around that. You brought up a great start point screen. that you know they start with the enterprise and then you know, or they start as consumers and bring it into the enterprise, or even vice versa. In Microsoft's, honestly, they Apple was always strongest in consumer. Microsoft was always strongest in enterprise. They need to figure out a way to keep it in the enterprise. And if they can get it down, trickle down to the consumer, great. But start anything to do with consumers is just going to backfire. One of the for things it. that they said that was interesting yeah. is that uh, in the they put out this PowerPoint presentation that All Things D posted up on their website. And uh, mm. my, you know, I don't know who this presentation was for, but it's mm. it, Microsoft has got to have a PowerPoint for everything. So in the PowerPoint <laughs> presentation for this acquisition, they mentioned that right now Microsoft makes $10 on average per Windows phone device. Now, it's right. funny because I think they make more than, more than that on an Android device. However, if once they own Nokia or Nokia, uh, they, uh, they project they will actually ge- uh, generate $40 per device. So it's interesting to see right. as, a, as a licensee. And they talk about, they talk about how in the, they say it used to be common knowledge that the best way to have a successful platform was to license it and become the standard. But now we've learned that the best now the market has changed and the best solution is an integrated approach of hardware and software and services. We're going to do it all, try to be be the one all, answer all. And the problem with this is it's very against the whole Linux Unix philosophy where you have a lot of tools that work together that do one thing really well. And mm. I want to go back I want to go back to when the iPhone just launched and Android just launched. Amazon didn't have their own mobile device. Google was totally cool with integrating with everybody. Apple didn't want to have to own absolutely everything and have an iCloud service and all this garbage. <laughs> so I could use Amazon for my MP3s. I could use Google for my search. It was this really nice, you know, now everybody has to own the whole stack, right? Everything has to be an integrated, right. custom-built solution that's custom-tailored to you. And I'm just getting so sick of it. 
But I think there's a market for it. You know, my wife certainly is a market for it. She wants yeah. I everything because she likes all that. She doesn't want to get an app. She just wants it to work. I think your wife would probably agree with that. Yeah, yeah. And you know, that's kind of her her thing. So the, there are people that definitely want that for sure. Yeah, and it's interesting too because I I think we're moving. Oh, sorry, Miracode. Uh, I think we're moving towards a world that maybe not all users realize we're moving because when Angela made the switch to Android for a little while. Mm-hmm. She was like, wait, 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 what do you mean I need to put all of my photos and music up on the server? I don't, exactly. I want right. them here on my hard drive. I don't want them up on the right. server. Why would I, why would I want to use my data to listen to my music that I already own? Like, why am I paying for it twice in her mind? And you got to figure a lot of people are smarter than we give them credit for. Like sometimes people can just see the common sense of a situation and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I got to buy this track and then I got to pay for the storage and I got to pay for the data to stream it instead of just having it sync over to my my machine for my hard drive that doesn't for her what was the killer for android was that it was too dependent on google services for she wanted to have everything local she wanted to be able to just plug in a usb cord to her computer click a sync button everything is copied from her hard drive to the device and i there's also a a strong network effect with these platforms like my my daughter's been saving up her money to buy herself um, uh, and I, she wanted an iPod Touch, and I, I said, well, how about a Nexus Four? Because uh, it's you know ridiculously cheap, and it's yeah. it can do yeah. everything. And uh, she was like, yeah, okay. And then when she thought about it a bit more, the reason she didn't want an Nexus Four and she wanted an iPod Touch was because all of her friends in her class use FaceTime, oh, yeah, exactly. and that would lock her out. And oh, she wouldn't really? be able to talk to her friends. So there's a strong network effect that once, you know, half the kids in the class have an iPod or, a, or an iPhone, that's it. The rest, the rest of them are, are guaranteed the to get one. ecosystem thing, isn't it? It I is mean, the if ecosystem you've got, thing, yeah. If you've got Apple's ecosystem, you're tied into it. The people at work, they don't want to move over to Android because they're tied into iTunes. Everything's <laughs> into iTunes. Whereas, the same happens with Google. You could you yeah, yeah. tied it tied into Google Definitely. with, with all listen. of those services that ship on on a on an Android device these days. You can get very tied into mm-hmm. you know the Play Store, and mm-hmm. you bought all your purchases mm-hmm. in the Play Store. You've got all your email in Gmail. It, it, it's a it's a hard hard thing to switch away from. Yeah, I agree I with that. Uh, yeah, I agree. I think Mirko, you might make the same point, and uh, so is Alex Bell in the chat room. Is uh, iMessage gets a lot of crap, but it's, I think it's the most understated feature of, and, and FaceTime as well, although it kind of sucks that FaceTime is being relayed now, but, uh, iMessage and, and the thing about iMessage is different than Hangouts because Android has this now with Hangouts and in some ways it's superior, uh, because it can be opened up to groups. It has, it's easy to throw, uh, Hangouts on any computer that has Chrome. Uh, so Hangouts are superior in every single way, except, I'm a paranoid bastard, and I know that everything I say is being stored indefinitely by Google and available immediately by a, a Homeland Security note. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and if I say something to, like, you know, and it's just stupid things, but, like, it's, like, if I say to my wife, oh, yeah, I'll go upstairs and I'll beat the children, and I'm, she knows I'm joking, right? Because right. I would never do that, but that's in a text message now that is logged on a Google server forever that is being indexed by the National Security Agency, potentially. And it could What's never come up. That- What's to say that Apple, the biggest consumer company around, isn't also storing everything? It's, yeah. it, it is. You never know, especially with Apple and especially in a, yeah. in a closed source environment. You never know. Now, they, their docs illustrate what happens is the Apple servers, the, uh, the Apple servers um, essentially are involved for the initial handshake. So if Matt was an iPhone user and I was an iPhone user and I sent Matt an iMessage and that initial iMessage... Uh, is coordinated by the 
iCloud service, whatever you want to call it, their push service. The Once the two devices link, there is a key generated on each handset that is then exchanged, and uh, they then communicate directly to each other from that point forward. Maybe that's just because the Apple ecosystem has been directly tied into the business world, so they've had to develop that kind of encryption. I think what Maybe it is... Maybe when it happens to Android they'll update it or they'll have to update it to be able to I think enter into is, that ecosystem. I think it goes I think it's deeper than that by 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 an order of magnitude. What I think it is is Google is inherently a internet connected company. Everything is orchestrated through the cloud, everything is synced through the cloud. Like in Google, you don't AdSense, sync yeah. your calendar, right? You Google Calendar is the master source of the calendar you can push and subscribe. But Apple was Apple was a company that existed before there was an internet. So what Apple does, like here's another here's, Apple is Apple is local land first, and they don't have any reason to be internet first. For example, AirPlay. When you AirPlay something from an iOS device to an Apple TV, that is a direct IP connection from the iOS device to the Apple TV. But when you use Chromecast, that sends a notification message up to the up to the cloud. The cloud then orchestrates the connection from the YouTube video down to the Chromecast, initiates the play, and then the commands from your handset are sent up to the cloud server, and the cloud server sends the commands down to the Chromecast. Potentially, each one has its advantages for sure, but one is inherently more no, private because it's connection completely. One, I can't hear you. One is inherently more private because it never has to leave your LAN. And the fact that iMessage and FaceTime can, in some capacities, work like that, and the fact that it enables free text messaging and that they support pictures and messages, is a huge advantage to that platform. That's all. Uh, I'm so that is a lock-in that we don't even talk about when we talk about uh, Ubuntu Touch or Firefox. We don't even we talk about apps, but we don't even talk about all of these services like video stores and music stores. And these messaging services, Hangouts or iMessages, that are sort of becoming indispensable for some people. Sure. You know, well, I, think I, both, I, I think both Google and Apple are inherently evil. I just think they do evil differently. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know, I know we all. get some flack for the, for the Ubuntu Software Center, but if you buy stuff from the Software Center, they're just a bunch of PPAs, and you can just log into Launchpad and get those packages back out and port them really? across to another Linux distro if you like. It's not so easy on, on either right. yeah. uh, iOS or, or Android. Yeah, good point. Uh, yeah. Another thing. Uh, back to the original point, what, like regarding whether the move by Microsoft to Nokia is going to affect Ubuntu Phone and and such, is those systems like Canonical and Mozilla and Yola, they don't care if like you use Amazon for your books and Google Music for your music. They don't care. It's just to create this wonderful OS that everything could kind of just coexist on. And I think that's kind of like the point we need to get back to, you know, regarding mm. these yeah. these new kind of, I guess you could say, indie OSs. Yeah. Well, that's I think it point. also helps define their market. That's their market for people that want to select and choose those individual services. Folks like us that care about that sort of thing, that's attractive. Yeah. No, I think that, and I think that's great because it definitely defines that market. For yeah. Folks. I. So you know, my solution for this is this is this was the kind of the final straw that made me roll my own XMPP server. Is because I just I just wanted to, I 
all of this NSA stuff has made me just, it's not that I'm worried about being monitored. It just, it makes, it crosses my mind now. Like I think about it, like what I, I was doing a whole bunch of reading about Syria recently and then I got down a path. So there's been protests outside of John Kerry's house. Well, I haven't seen that on the news. So I wanted to see pictures of it. So then I'm, I'm now I realize I'm searching, I'm searching for like Syria locations on Google maps. I'm searching for yeah. chemical weapons. I'm searching for John Kerry's house. I mean, Maybe nothing happens, but the fact that I have to worry about it makes me uncomfortable. And so I just like, you know what? I'm going to go to XMPP. I'm going to chat with my wife on our own private chat server. So that way I never have to worry about it at all. It never even crosses my mind. It's not a distraction anymore. And uh, I like that peace of mind. And I like the idea that Yala or, or Ubuntu Touch or Firefox OS is more about the phone getting something on there, but not necessarily locking you into any particular service. Mm-hmm. That, to me, as a customer, might be their biggest advantage, that they don't have that yes. ecosystem. I completely agree with that. And I think the, one, the way I've always looked at privacy long before all this stuff with uh, you know, privacy concerns really came about is I always looked at privacy as a very simple analogy in that uh, absolutely, I can, if I choose to, stand in front of my window and uh, get undressed and hop into the shower. And if someone sees me, it's really no big deal. Please don't. But I feel more comfortable if no one has to subject their eyes to that. Right. And I just pull the blinds. And that's kind of where I see this, you know, taking privacy back into our own hands thing. It's that, you know, it's just, it's more, for me, it's out of principle. It's just like, it's none of their damn business, period. Doesn't matter why. It's just none of their damn business. Yeah. I and, agree. It, you know, it's just my perspective. I just keep it simple. Um, all right. So while we got the mumble line open, I wanted to mm-hmm. toss something around in the chat room. I'll watch you too. So something I get an email about once a day is, hey, the CAPTCHA isn't working on the Jupiter colony. Well, the Jupiter colony is the form, not, you know, Jupiter colony is kind of what we is, is an overall branching title that we have for a lot of things. But the Jupiter colony form, specifically the PHP BB bulletin board that we have up at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash forum is retired. Um, it's in sort of read only mode. We're not allowing new account creations There's still activity there. Partially because I don't know. So the main reason is I don't have the time to take care of that anymore. And it just, it's something that just needs attention from time to time and I don't have it. Uh, So I thought, well, okay, social networks have kind of replaced us, but then not everybody wants to have a social network account. Uh, Reddit kind of replaces, but not everybody wants to have a Reddit account. Right. I, so we have a, we have a great G plus Jupiter colony community. And I, I really would like to have seen everything move from the forums to that. But so many people have said, ah, I don't want to use G+. So what, in this day and age, so you, there's apparently some forums that a community still wants to organize on and discuss, a subset of the community, but they, they don't want to create accounts on some other services, servers, or anything like that. What do you use? And Or maybe is it, are, are forums just dead? Is it just maybe time we just say, goodbye forums, you're in rate-only mode, stop trying to make accounts, everybody? I mean, I can't yes. have, but people, but people are still just, tr- um, trying to do it. Trying to still trying to sign up, still trying to engage in conversation in there. We, we've um, been promoting Ubuntu. We've been promoting uh, Discourse, which is made by the same people who make Stack Exchange, Jeff Atwood, um, and it's brilliant. We, we've stood up UbuntuDiscourse.org, um, and uh, it's a really lovely way to have discussion. It's it it looks a bit like a forum and a bit like Stack Exchange. Hmm. It's got the best bits of Stack Exchange and the best bits of forums. What's the management really like? So, like, what's the up? This is it hosted I've been or thinking about for a while? So we we uh, run it on. I think we run it on HP Cloud, but you, you know you can run it on anything. It's it's it runs on Linux. Um, we've written a, a Juju charm for it, so we can stand up an instance anywhere, anytime. Um, and we 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 have the the upstream developers contribute on our 
discourse when this is when nice. our users yeah when our this users, i like uh, yeah i agree problems. i think this is and you, uh, and you an don't have to sign up approach. it uses mm-hmm. um open id or whatever so you can you can sign in with some other you know mm-hmm. um uh single sign on it's really that is nice. pretty cool all right that's a good recommendation what's attractive yeah, yeah like you said with the sign on that's great yeah so is, is this actually hosted uh, as in could we host our own copy yes okay it's open source it's um, something I've been thinking about for quite a while, Chris, because I'm I'm one of those people that try to sign up. Um, I'm actually a PHP developer, and um, I was going to send you an email, actually, and ask if you wanted something built. But uh, it's funny that you've spoken about it now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I know I, I get emails about it a lot, so I know it's kind of a topic of that. I just don't really have a great forum to address uh, – a forum uh, to address it. I do like this discourse thing, but I, I guess my – the fundamental question I have is, is it still needed today? I mean, between all the social networks, the IRC, a mumble server, TeamSpeak servers, the subreddits, do we really need a forum too? I was, personally, um, personally. I've sworn off forums ever since the change of the last – Jupiter Colony forum change. What I've been through forums ever since. Dude, that was like, that was like six years ago. Wow. <laughs> Never have I gone on another forum since. Well, um, I was thinking of maybe doing something similar to maybe have a forum, but with the social networking aspect built in, kind of with our own custom accounts on the Jupiter Colony. So how would that work? Uh, we would have to find some software to run it on or have somebody develop it. Uh, well, well, since di- since Discord is open source, why don't we just extend that? Yeah, yeah I'm going to look. Could, at, I, think yeah. I think that's something we should look into right there. I like I think that. That's the smartest approach. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, guys. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. So, um, I'm going to mute the channel just for a little bit as we get to a couple of emails, and then we got to run because we're we're running long. I don't. I, I you know, uh, it is it is a hard thing to get to these emails, Matt. But we got some good oh, ones. Yeah. We got some good ones, and I think this one came in. Uh, I think this one might have been on. We got some bit messages too. Uh, and it was uh, from B via BitMessage. Chris and Matt, great job. Last unplugged. We're going with Linux unplugged now. Uh, thanks to you clowns, I will never, ever get through my podcast back catalog. Not only do I have another JB podcast on my list, but you've turned me on to Star Trek podcasts. Oh, so now man. I get around 130 podcasts in my current queue. I guess I'll have to tell my boss that it's your fault. On the subject of mail servers, I've been running one for years. I started out running Colab on a Spark station back in the day. That box died about 10 years ago, so I began running Zimbra on a P4 rack mount I had in a basement. He likes Zimbra quite a bit. Uh, he says, I was getting an email from my public mail service and collecting them locally. However, since ISPs had enough uh, force, ser- uh, I had to push, the ISP had to push the force server use. I'm going to jump ahead here. Uh, he says that... Uh, he says that he, now that he's got now these really now that the NSA shenanigans have happened that he's doubled down on this in light of all of that and he's gonna set, he's gonna set it up for real again and maybe this time include Nagios alerts and things like that for when it goes offline. Yeah, sounds pretty snazzy. I know, I agree. So, uh, mm-hmm. all right. So, I want to read uh, just a couple more. I'm gonna make it quick because I promised Matt. I promised we would do it. <laughs> so I I cannot go back on my promise. Uh, here we go. We Linux, did make that claim. Juris Linux handhelds. Hello, Chris and Matt. Uh, can I share? Can can you share your opinion on Linux handhelds in the open market at the moment? Like, uh, for example, the Open Pandora, also the uh, – I have uh, the new GW. Uh, wanted to know what we thought about Linux on, like, handheld consoles. Matt, do you have any thoughts on that? Honestly, I I can't speak intelligently to it because I haven't really subjected myself to it uh, so extensively. I think so, that actually no, is really. kind of an answer. It's kind of like um, – so I, I want to. I'm I, interested. I got I'm this, open-minded. I got this know? GCW zero, but it's kind of yeah. like uh, – You'll be really great. What would make this GCW perfect 
is like yeah. if good old games was just like boom, that's our console of choice, and we're just going to put a you're ton, talking. right? Yes, right, right. Because you yeah. can run DOSBox on this thing. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. if you got DOSBox going on this, you could put a, you could run a ton of good old games, and if good old games could make a package and just be like pow, uh, I, I really think then you'd really have something because uh, the thing is is these little these little handheld consoles like the Open Pandora and uh, the GCW Zero are really cool. They're open. They're really neat. They have they re- each one of them does something unique and interesting. But at the end of the day, they're really going up against smartphones now. You know, a few you know five six years ago that maybe not have been the case, but now they really are going up against smartphones. So it's really they got to stand out in some way. So I'm I'm hopeful in the GCW, but we'll see. That would be cool. I love the idea with good old games because that really solves the uh, ecosystem problem for that particular thing. Yeah, they, they just got to see the the light. And is, I am a big GOG fan, um, uh, but you know, just like we've kind of seen them not really get the whole Linux thing. Um, right. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, chicken or the egg. Chicken or the egg. Exactly. So John writes in. He says, "I've been using Play on Linux for some time now, and the most part, I had moderate success." What are your thoughts or experiences using any of these, and which has worked best for you? I'd love to see some information on the subject. Well, boy, uh, for myself, as a, as a rule, I think Wine is a fine project where developers have put in a lot of work and done wonderful things. As a, as a usage thing, I won't use Wine. I will play in traffic on the freeway before using it just Whoa. because it's not really my uh, – it's just not my style. I, 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 I try to put my feet down and stick uh, in a native, native environment if at all possible. Mm-hmm, so. mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I almost, in some cases, would prefer to just do full-on virtualization. True. That's it. And this, I think, goes back to, as a Linux user, when I see something of value, I buy it. And since the mid-2000s, I don't know when, I mean, for a very long time, I have bought every release of Crossover Office. I have a current version yeah. as of today. And I'm not a huge... I play on Linux, I've had really hit-and-miss success with, but Crossover... If if they say it works in that so in crossover you, first of all you get a really nice wrapper around wine you do that That's sets true. up bottles real nice so each each thing you want to you get running under wine it has its own self contained configuration you can you can load stuff into it or you can have everything isolated you can have different versions so I can have an XP bottle a two thousand bottle and a Vista bottle or whatever yeah. um and that's how I do Star Trek Online is uh, and and once you know and to their credit once once crossover said yeah we're going to support Star Trek Online it has work solidly. And a, a lot of things are like that. And sometimes their list is a little lackluster. Like it's like Office 2010 is the latest version. But I found it to be accurate. That's one thing I yeah. will give them props yeah. for is that if they say it works, it works. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's, you know, that, that'll and give them props. They've on. expanded a community supported section now. So they've got uh, mm-hmm. ones that users can submit that have been sort of vetted. It's nice. It's still not great though. I mean, like for example, Star Trek Online takes 10 minutes to launch. Once it launches, right. it's okay. But right. for some yeah. reason under Crossover Wine, it takes 10 minutes. Uh, I know that, so I just accept it, and it works fine. On it's fine, uh, but you know, I I'm I'm with Matt. I, I it's it's my it's my last resort. Exactly, and yeah. and one other thing I thought they did well is at least they used to do uh, bounties, so where there were you could actually uh, chip in to help make this more compatible. I, I don't remember if they still do that or not now, but there used to be you could actually throw money in that direction to say, I want this particular game or particular yeah, app to run. I don't know. I haven't tried that for a long time, but yeah, they, yeah. they had a voting system. I think that's right. still around. Uh, a yeah. couple of quick things I just wanted to mention. Uh, this is like pissing in the wind here, but sure. if anybody out there has access to a computer around them that has iTunes, 
Uh, Linux Unplugged just hit the new and noteworthy section of iTunes. If you give us a rating and a comment, that helps Discovery. It keeps us kind of in the charts for a while. Once we're up there, it helps. And and the reason why I mention that is because uh, if we stay up there for a few days, we'll probably have a few new thousand people, several thousand people find the show. And that's that's a great thing for Linux and, and for the network in general. So I know it can be uh, challenging for some of you Linux users out there to get access to iTunes. But if it happens somehow, we would appreciate a vote. Uh, oh, absolutely, and, and that's another thing you can use Wine for. While you're not going to be able to do a lot with it, yeah. you can probably get an older version of iTunes. Crossover run. has like an installer <laughs> script for that, yeah. Yes. Yeah, it does. Um, okay, so I think that was all the emails. Now, I was kicking around an idea before the show. Okay. We don't have to do it. You you have final call on this, Matt. All right. A lot of the pre-shows on Unplugged have been Star Trek heavy. Talk a lot of Star <laughs> Trek on the live show. Uh, Unplugged, we're recording Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific over at jblive.tv which is uh, uh, 9 p.m. UTC, I believe. Join us over at jblive.tv if you can do it. Uh, what do you think, Matt, of watching Star Trek Deep Space Nine, episode one, before next week's Unplugged? And then at the last, the last like 10 minutes or so of Unplugged, we'll sort of wrap up all of our topics and we'll talk about that first episode. And it might just be for just like a minute or two or something. Oh, absolutely. No, I'm totally fine with that. Uh, shoot me an email reminder. Though, the so DS9 challenge? You want to do the yes. DS9 challenge? Okay. And, and I, uh, that's one I'm actually my favorite out of the entire – I actually prefer that over TNG in a lot of ways. So, yeah, I'm, I've watched the hell out of it. So, so that's reason, not a problem. I, 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 was, I was really <laughs> not sure what direction to go. TNG, I leaned heavily. Toss, I definitely had to consider. I mean, it's the original. The reason I'm not doing Toss is uh, there's already a really great podcast out there that's talking about Toss. Uh, Mission right. Log. I mentioned them before. And uh, I, I don't want to step on their thing, and that's their whole show. Uh, mm-hmm. And but I, I I need to I need to bring DS Nine back into my life as a Star Trek fan. I go through these cycles of Star Trek uh, reingestation, right. where I reprocess and rewatch and reunderstand. And I am now at that point with, with Deep Space Nine, and I need to do it in order. So I'm in for this the long haul as long as the audience and you are. So if you guys can stick with it every single week, I'm I'm up for another episode. I have I can somehow manage to watch. One episode of Deep Space Nine on Netflix between now and next week. I can make that oh, happen. Yeah. You can make that commitment, right? Yeah, yeah I can do it. I can do it. <laughs> I'm, and you know, I don't know if you remember, but it's a good episode. You got like some board cube action in there. You got Jean-Luc in there. Right. There's a it's, lot. A, it's a very, it, and it's really setting the pace for yeah. that uh, first season. Yeah. So. so we'll see how it goes. We'll see how you guys respond to that. And uh, and uh, I, uh, I know I said I'd give you some more of my thoughts on the GCW Zero, but honestly, I just haven't had much time to play with it since last uh, I did play with it a little more and um, kind of waiting to see. My wife really likes it. Oh, she cool. thought it was really awesome. She thought it was like, she said, I think her words were like, it looks like a much more modern DS or something. She said it looks really good. Uh, so I'm going to see how my kids react to it too because they haven't really done a lot of controller stuff. So maybe uh, the next week or so we'll do a, a, a little chat about the GCW Zero. Yeah. Sounds good. All right. So uh, I'm going to bring us to a close then. Uh, if you want to email the show, you can do that. Just email linuxactionshow at jupiterbroadcasting.com. We'll be watching that. Also, you can submit things to our subreddit over at linuxactionshow.reddit.com. And that's a that's probably your best out of all of your resources. That's probably the best way to get something in front of us. You can always hang out in our IRC room, too, of course, and uh, join us there and chat with us. And uh, don't forget to join us live and uh, subscribe and download. And if you're near an iTunes machine, eh, we could use the help a little bit there, too. Absolutely. All right, Matt. We'll have a great week. I'll see you on Sunday. <laughs> Sounds good. See you then. All right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for tuning this week's episode of Linux Unplugged. We'll see you right back here next Tuesday.